What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, will Brandon Johnson's Bring Chicago Home Tax be the revenue generator he's hoping? How do soccer fans feel about Messi missing Chicago? And the CTA president makes how much? Here with us to break it down are writer Evan Moore and the Tribune's A.D. Quig. It's Friday, October 6th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Morning, Evan. Morning, A.D. How y'all feeling today? Tired. Budget season. Oh, good. You know, just uh, dealing with this on ownership stuff, and nobody told me uh, all the stuff I had to, uh, had to do. So here we are. <laughs> We're in good spirits. I love it. I was going to say, a nice, gloomy, realistic start to the conversation. Evan dealing with home ownership in South Shore, AD live from City Hall, dealing with all the stresses that come out of that building in any given week. Uh, with those facts in mind, I doubly appreciate y'all making time for the podcast this morning. Let's get let's get things started on a lighter note, right? It's a little gloomy outside, so that fall weather is really starting to show itself. Uh, so I want to know, what is something that, as the weather turns, you do for you? AD, you're at City Hall a lot you dealing with all of the, the complications of chicago politics what's the thing you do to disconnect during the fall i'm a walk person i love um i think i've said this 50 times on the show just how much i love living close to the lakefront leaves changing at the lakefront so amazing i'm getting back into running after several months of not doing it and my okay. favorite type of running weather is like cold rainy windy because that means no one else is out and it also means that i'm not sweating like summer months so i'm excited to okay get back so my, into my face like... was gross for the first half you had me in the first <laughs> half but around the third fourth quarter you you turned it on uh and and okay that, that makes that makes a little bit more sense right you isolation how far into the the sort of back half of the year top of the year do you run like are you january february running or i do like i like if the lakefront path is clear i will run on it um you guys have seen that video of those people in Portland who went running, <laughs> who went running when mm-hmm. it snowed there that one time. They're like, the snow just helps you grip so much more, and then immediately <laughs> and then they turned around, bite it, bust their ass. <laughs> yeah, um, I try to avoid that uh, as much as possible. But no, if like the sidewalks are clear, I'm happy to go out. I like, I much prefer cold running. I'm a Midwestern woman. I take it, uh, Evan. What is the thing you're doing in the fall when you're not dealing with the stresses of home ownership? Uh, like uh, AD, I like walking on the, the South Lake front and just being around out and about and in the neighborhood. And you know, this uh, hockey season will be is uh, upon us. And I, I was going to say, yeah, lots of walking and hitting up some stores of vinyl because on record store day, I, I put myself on a on this like plan where it's like I can't spend too much money. <laughs> I went to a record store that day and spent maybe like 
uh, hundreds of dollars on records. And I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> Went over it immediately. <laughs> immediately. I live not too far from the record store on, mm-hmm. on off of 53rd in Dorchester. And I stopped by at least a couple times a week, mm-hmm. mostly because I'm trying to find a reasonable doubt. I'm hoping that one day I'll go in there and it'll just be sitting in the section. But I've yet to get it. But I, I typically leave out with something uh, once or twice a month. And so I, I feel that. I'm, I'm with that. Uh, every single Friday, we bring in some friends from across the city to talk about the stories that they were thinking about this week. AD, I want to start with you. Dorval Carter has been in the news, uh, I mean, relentlessly over the last couple of years as people question his leadership, as people question uh, how safe they feel on CTA, uh, how clean CTA is, how reliable CTA is. And now an investigation has come out that's, in many cases, pocket-watching Dorval Carter, but it feels necessary at this point as criticism and accountability uh, seem to be outpaced by his paycheck. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we learned this week? Yeah, this was a great Black Club story. I think there's just been so much strong reporting on CTA because it's what people really care about in the city. And this was just kind of the latest and latest in holding um, leadership accountable for everything you were talking about, um, how reliable it is, how safe it is, how clean it is. Um, and this matters not just because of how we're feeling when we're riding the train. It matters because this is what helps the city run. Um, it's what it's part of what makes the city so successful and livable. Um, so Block Club did a story this week. Um, he's been under fire for everything we talked about. And it turns out he's been operating without a contract, without a formal performance review, and has continued to receive raises roughly every six months since 2018. So during the course of the pandemic, um, was receiving consistent raises to the point where he's earning more than the mayor and uh, the aviation commissioner, which is a position that has always had as long as I've been covering City Hall, the highest pay mm-hmm. in the city. Um, you also making more than the heads of CPS, CHA, the Park District. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people push back and say he makes uh, he makes less than his counterparts in other cities. But when we're looking at uh, public officials in Chicago, you know, he definitely outpacing quite a few of them. He's up there. And but one of my favorite quotes from the story is Carter has largely governed himself by launching initiatives that measure his own success without much direction from the board, which has almost always gone along with him. So this raises the question that journal- journalism is supposed to, which is when things go wrong, what are the ways a person in charge is being held accountable? Who has the influence and authority to make things better? And are they exercising it? And I'm not by any means calling for Dorval Carter to be fired, but I think it would benefit everyone, especially the public. He was held to similar standards as executives running transit agencies in other cities. And the agency itself, so the spokespeople for the CTA, didn't let the other accountability buddy here, uh, the press, access the people directly in power at CTA to ask them these questions either. Um, didn't make top officials available for interviews. It blocked block club reporters um, when they tried to go the next rung down and talk to members of the transit board. So this it raised a lot of questions, like why mm-hmm. why is someone entitled to regular raises despite all the issues that are going on 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 the city hall side um, months and months where aldermen said they were getting ghosted by carter when they were inviting him repeatedly to show up to cta hearings one bright spot in this story uh city council which really shouldn't have to fulfill this function because there is a transit board that should be fulfilling this function of holding leadership accountable is expected uh at some point soon to have quarterly hearings with the cta 
on service levels, operations and security. I, I was a little confused reading this report because as the spokesperson and some of the board members said, um, or, or as their function explains, they said they, they do have regular meetings with, with Carter. Uh, board officials are required to meet every month. They say that they give him both formal and informal performance review. You know, how true is that response? Is this something that they're keeping track of or is it just a, you know, like, I guess, you know, monthly goals check in, which probably should be separate from a official performance review process. Yeah. So there's no no formal uh, performance review process. Um, and Block Club did go back and look at meeting minutes from CTA board meetings and found that there was like very little criticism and actually a lot of praise for Carter during this time. And that might mean that they are getting briefed um, separately, not publicly, and that they do feel that he is doing good work and it is praiseworthy. But from the public perspective, um, we as the public are not getting the benefit of these same briefings and back and forth that these board members might get might be getting behind closed doors. This is a theory. This is like what I've seen happen in other governments where like everyone shows up at the board meeting and is happy, but it's because they had a three hour briefing already where they got the tough questions off the plate. Um, but for the most part, what what Block Club found is that during these board meetings, there were not a lot of hard questions being answered and that uh, Carter's answer or response to a lot of the criticism he's been facing is this meeting the moment plan that the CTA has set up. And he's kind of just leaned on that repeatedly to say, we're addressing this through the meeting the moment plan. We're addressing this through the meeting the moment plan, which yes, there are a lot more trackable metrics at the CTA to figure out how things are going. But transit advocates say it's important to have kind of this regular and public accountability that all of us can be keeping track of that isn't just privy behind closed doors. One final question on this front for you quick. Mayor Brandon Johnson throughout his campaign and now his early months has made it clear that he's going to evaluate top leadership around the city and make decisions accordingly. He isn't afraid to fire people. Right. Uh, The uh, former commissioner of the public health department will go on record and tell you that. But when people ask him about CTA Dorval Carter's future, what is his response? Basically that he's still evaluating Initially, when he got into office, he basically said, I'm letting everyone stay for three months and I'll evaluate as I go. That three months has come and gone. It's October. And Dorval Carter is still (laughs) here. I will say that when I've spoken to folks about this, um, this position specifically, and it's one among many positions that uh, the Tribune has reported on being open across city government that are kind of important to fill. Um, Obviously, there's still a bureaucracy underneath that takes care of a lot of business. But again, uh, the accountability measure of like someone wearing the jacket and overseeing how things work is important. Um, he's basically said, I'm still assessing and I'll let you know when I make my decision. But to Brandon Johnson's point, he's dealing with a lot of stuff, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, there's an asylum crisis. There's his first budget. There's like I mentioned, department heads he has to replace at, a, at several other like key posts. He's got a lot mm-hmm. on his plate. But I, I think CTA is one of the most visible places where people want to see change, want to see improvement especially as more people are using it. We will come back to City Hall. Evan, I want to bring you in here. A report came out earlier this week from our colleague Portia King over at the Chicago Defender giving praise uh, to a hub of black excellence, as she calls it, on Chicago 75th Street. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about just the gem that is this two to three mile stretch between Greater Grand Crossing and Chatham? Uh, yeah, so um, in that stretch uh, over that area, as you mentioned, uh, you know, between like Cottage Grove and King Drive, I'd argue it, it extends uh, maybe even further to like even Stony Island, you know, and uh, it's a stretch of at least at least 40 black owned businesses where whether it's nightlife, whether it's health, uh, uh, 
health food and holistic medicine, eats, uh, you know, cakes, pies, all these uh, different things over time that folks that who've been in that neighborhood or nearby, you know, like myself, had known about for years. I mean, it's like I think about it when I read that article, I laughed when I saw President's lines on there because uh, <laughs> I think everybody remembers what they were doing at when the, when the world shut down in March 2020. And I think I was literally there like the day before, I mean, the night before everything shut down. <laughs> but I was kind of like the last, like, you know, borrowed that for all that happened. But you have to see, you know, uh, folks talking about having those communities and how that those particular communities have all these businesses owned by black people. And we talk a lot about, okay, uh, where are black businesses and, and how are they thriving or surviving? And you know, as we know, during the pandemic, we lost some of those uh, businesses and everything else, but it's good to see a spotlight, especially from the Defender, which has such a, a great history, you know, within our community of seeing the stories and talking to the people that we know and love. And, and they had uh, Defender, you know, once had that place where black folks didn't believe something in media unless the Defender co signed it. So, said, it's great to see that, you know, a story like that that came, came from, from them. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've done neighborhood guides both on the podcast and we're continuing to do them in the newsletter. And you feel just between this stretch, you you get everything from things to do, things to see, things to eat. Um, it, it, they have places to to do your taxes. They have barber shops. There are uh, places to get frames from the crib. Um, we even talked about it earlier this week because the New York Times put out another one of their 36 hours in Chicago. And I'm one of those people like, 36 hours in Chicago, I get. You could spend your entire day and a half, two days in one neighborhood on one side of the city, but it's not complete for me without a, a trip to 75th Street to get some limbs, to get some 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 brown sugar baker, even to stop at Jamaican Jerk or something. Uh, where's the spot, Evan, that a person has to go to amongst these places, or, you know, whether it's, whether it's for food or something else? Oh, man, it's on that. Uh, that stretch alone, like I said, I go to Fredericks Lounge. You like uh, it's a, that's an interesting place within itself. Also, uh, Lambs, as as you just mentioned, I mean, it's some uh, speaking of my time on the entertainment beat at, at the Sun Times. I mean, like uh, I got to see on the uh, the show uh, how black folks officially call it Tommy, even though the rest of us, everybody else calls it a uh, powerful uh, power force. Like they uh, had him down down there, like on Seventy Fifth Street. You can see Lambs in the uh, background. Have you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's uh there and uh it's a pretty good looking store that's actually right across me from there. It's not black owned, but it's a pretty good uh thing if you're into crab beer and you really don't wanna leave your neighborhood or have to go somewhere else. That's that's pretty cool to to see their selection. We definitely going to drop uh, a link to the article so people can check it out. Um, and when you get some time, make your way to 75th Street. At the least, stop by Limbs. I mean, they've been out there for, I mean, since 1968. I think that, that Chatham location uh, has been in the neighborhood. Uh, and so make your way down there. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. 
I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Uh, from 75th Street back to City Hall, A.D. Quig. One of Brandon Johnson's biggest proposals has been the Bring Chicago Home Tax, which is a real estate transfer tax. Uh, but you did some writing this week that, again, asked the question, will it be the revenue generator that Johnson and his allies um, are, are hoping that it is? Um, you know, how did that fare in city council this week? So. We, it's a very long process to get something actually on the ballot. Um, so what happened at City Hall this week was a formal public hearing about whether to put this question on the ballot in the March primary. So this was basically a chance for the public to show up and say, rah, rah, we should do this, or please no, we can't do this. What will come next is a committee hearing on the proposal, and then it will pass through the poll. If it passes through committee, it'll go to the full city council. If it passes the council, it'll end up on the ballot. And then if it ends up on the ballot, folks get to decide yes or no. And if it's successful, the tax would start in 2025, I think January 1st, 2025. And then the money that would come in from that tax would not be able to be spent until 2026. So this is a, this is a long process. But um, as far as like the actual testimony, it was pretty heated. And this kind of goes to what I uh, wanted to get into in the story. We had initially gotten a tip that building permits were way down. And we were chasing it down to see whether it was there was something weird going on. And basically what we heard from the building department was, no, this is a slowdown in real estate activity generally in the city. People that got financing before COVID, that financing is gone. Interest rates have gone crazy. Inflation is up a, a lot. So there are just fewer people building or renovating. And I was as I was calling around to construction folks, real estate people, um, to ask about this tip, um, they basically said, you should go you should dig in more into the real estate transfer tax because this isn't just about renovations. It's also about sales. Sales of properties are down. And the real estate transfer tax is a tax charged at the time of sale. And Mayor Brandon Johnson's proposal calls for a slight reduction in the, in the tax on property value below a million dollars and an increase on property value above a million dollars. A gradual increase. So as it goes up, the, the tax would go up. Right. And it's, it's charged on, it's, gradual, like you said, so like the any value below a million is taxed at that lower rate. Any value above a million is taxed at that higher rate. Um, it's not like people can cheat and say my my home is worth $999,000. I mean, they could hypothetically, but for the most part, like it's intended to kind of phase up. So what people said is, number one, there are fewer sales. So we should be cautious about how much additional money we think this uh, tax could bring in. And second, go look at the mayor's own budget forecast. Um, he really revised the estimates down on the real estate transfer taxes that we're already collecting. So sure enough, I went and saw that the budgeted amount that Mayor Lori Lightfoot had hoped to collect this year was $221 million. And the Johnson administration, when they put out their forecast this week, said it's looking more like 140. It's an 80 million swing, right? It's a big swing. And like, yes, we have a 16 billion dollar budget at the city of Chicago. Um, 
but $80 million can buy you a lot of stuff. And the whole gist or the argument uh, behind raising the real estate transfer tax is that it will raise an additional $100 million on average to be dedicated expressly to services for the homeless. So I went back in time and looked at how much money had been budgeted for the real estate transfer tax and how much it actually brought in. And the, the graph was like super wibbly wobbly, like really high times right before the Great Recession and then really low times right after the Great Recession, kind of slowly ticking back up, taking a little hit during COVID. And then it looked like it was heading back up. And then the forecast for this year is really far down. So it's really what they call volatile tax. Right. So even if you don't take into account Johnson's plan to raise $100 million with changing the real estate transfer tax moving forward, moving like if we look in the past, it's already been, as you said, sort of volatile. It already hasn't been able to like really peg what it's going to be with the high being some around where around 240 million lows around 60 million. So it's it's constantly shifting regardless. Yes, constantly shifting regardless. And uh, the big gist of the story was like, how reliable is this going to be? Because and the other part of this, which I haven't gotten to dig into much, is like these values tank when the real estate market tanks. And when the real estate market is tanking, it probably also means that um, there are a lot more people at risk of becoming homeless. So like at the time when you really need the money, is it uh, risky to rely on a tax like this that peaks and troughs with the real estate market? What the Johnson administration told me is that they have budgeted extremely conservatively for this tax. They're keenly aware of how volatile this can be and that they plan on essentially creating a reserve so that you're not spending, you're not blowing every money every year on the budget. You're setting some aside every time so you can kind of keep these multi-year projects going. Because part of what they want to do is, is spend money on permanent supportive housing. So that might be building or rehabbing or uh giving wraparound services to folks, but like building and rehabbing properties takes time. So they're saying, we're thinking about all of this. And the more important part is we're reducing the burden on 95% of the transactions that occur in the city. A lot of these transactions and many of the homes in Chicago are valued at less than a million. But the flip side of this is the commercial industry, which would be taking the biggest hit, says, we're already suffering. Why are you guys kicking us when our when we're down? And what what why would you do anything that would further discourage investment from coming to the city when we're already down? How does the Johnson administration respond to that? I mean, obviously they've taken it into account, but do they have a sense of how much of a damp this could put on sales at a million dollars and, and above? So they think this will basically hold harmless most of those low value sales. And for the high value sales, they say, you know, this is a one-time charge. This is a one-time charge only at the point of sale. Um, and that's a small part of the, the grand universe of considerations that investors are making when they buy and sell property. So yes, this will have an impact, but it will not have as big of an impact as other macro forces in the economy, like interest rates, property taxes in general. And kind of the bone thrown during this is that the mayor has committed to not raising property taxes in this upcoming budget. So basically they're saying it will have an effect, but not so much of an effect that it's really going to kill anything. It's like a, a tiny part in the investment consideration that investors are making. And the business folks that were testifying Wednesday said, not the case. Um, this is a big deal. And it's important that we keep investment going in the city because commercial, this goes back to our very fun property tax 
conversations yeah. we've had in the past. Um, if there's more value on the commercial side, it means residential folks bear less of the burden. So anything that reduces commercial investment means that residential folks could be paying more. I, I appreciate the how we're breaking it down overwhelmingly because... I mean, this is a huge proposal. I think it's one of those that gets lost in the weeds. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes it's sort of just summarized. Uh, and because it's one that isn't going to impact the vast majority of us who are not going to probably buy pro properties over a million dollars, you know, I, I think it, it, people sort of just uh, kind of write it off. But if it doesn't, you know, pan out as a huge revenue generator, we then have to ask the question again, how are we going to to get that money for a crisis that's only growing in our city? Uh, for months, we have been talking about a date at Soldier Field that finally took place this week where we were expecting to see one of soccer's greatest players of all time, Lionel Messi, in the building at Soldier Field in front of a sold out crowd. Ah, unfortunately, that did not happen. But Evan, they still had a party at Soldier Field. Uh, was was this a cruel sort of end of summer joke for, you know, summertime shot? We saw a lot of things get rained out um, over the last few months. This this sort of felt like a rain on on our parade in some ways. Yeah, this is interesting. I've been really like thinking about it, uh, you know, reading through your polls, uh, the Triv uh, story and other stories about it. And being a soccer fan myself and. I know I'm not really connected with the fire like I am with my team Arsenal, which is all the way in London. And basically, the fire play ten minutes away, away from me up Lakeshore Drive. So, and I don't know if that's a me problem or a them problem that I'm not connected with the team uh, really as a in a major way. But I mean, I, we have to understand because Messi, the, he's kind of regarded as one of the best soccer players ever. And, you know, playing with uh, Inter Milan and there's always that that uh, thing where uh, soccer fans look at down at MLS and think that when, like, international soccer stars go to play there, it's usually in the, in, you know, when they're past their prime and whatever. So maybe that's the same thing that's going on. But in terms of, you know, what they're saying about the weather, like, they had a, you know, they got they pretty much had the biggest crowd they'd ever had for a game there, like, for the fire. And also what got lost yeah. in all this is the fire, you know, is, uh, is in a playoff race and they needed to win that game. And <laughs> that's kind of like the bottom line that you, you know, really uh, think about. You went there to be a uh, – uh, went there to be, you know, a, a fire fan, and honestly, like I said, it's messy. Of course, we wouldn't want to see him. Just like the thought of messy brought those people out and – like driving by there last night after work and seeing way more uh, uh, pink, messy Inter Milan uh, jersey than I saw fire jerseys kind of kind of shows you, you know, what, and frankly, you know, what time it is for MLS and overall and also for Chicago. And it's kind of weird because MLS has flourished over here. They're adding way more teams than they had when they first started. But it kind of seems like that not really is not really taking off here in Chicago in a lot of ways. I mean, the soccer crowd might get at me, but, you know, but it also ties back to what we were saying earlier about 75th Street. There's a, a soccer mural of a black kid in a, in a Chicago fire kid in a mural that's on 75th and uh, Everhart. So it's like they're trying, you know, and everything else. And so it's uh, still a long way to go. And, and <laughs> maybe this will, maybe this will be a, yeah, I was like, maybe this will be a, a, a pseudo blessing for the team, right? Inter Miami mm -hmm. shows up. You think Messi's going to play. All of these people come out. And 
you know, they end up winning the game and, you know, making a, a run at the playoffs for the first time since 2017. Maybe the fans who only showed up last night for Messi but still chose to come knowing he wasn't going to play, maybe they were excited by that. We had two players who scored two goals apiece um, throughout the game in very exciting fashion. Um, and, and so maybe just that that energy, that's something they'll be able to bottle and capture going into the playoffs Uh I, I I haven't attended a Chicago Fire game yet myself. AD, have you been to a Chicago Fire game yet? No, and I regret it because I went. I was out in Portland this summer and went to a Timbers game. One of the most fun nights I've had in sports, and it cracked. It was great. I've on, I've only heard good things about it, and so so again, if we actually make it into the playoffs, maybe more people will turn out. Hey, we could have a chance this weekend. They are home against Charlotte uh, Saturday at Soldier Field at seven thirty. So you know. There's some opportunities to pop out before the playoffs, y'all. Every single episode ends with a little bit of good news. Just, you know, something positive, something to make you feel good, give you some energy before the end of the episode. AD, what is your good news for the CityCast people today? So normally mine are like animal related. Um, they are. But this time, it's Dorothy Hoffner. A wonderful 104-year-old woman who became the Guinness World Record holder for the oldest person to skydive in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. This woman was born in 1918, so she made it through the Spanish flu, a world war, the 70s, COVID, uh, and decided she wanted to skydive at 100. And then she said, screw it, I'll go again at 104. (laughs) When someone uh, of this age does something... Uh, unexpected or remarkable they're all always like give me your pearls of wisdom why did you do this thing and she was like all i did was attach myself to an expert and let him do all the work mm-hmm. and then like and floated down and floated down um and refused to impart any greater wisdom it wasn't like the trick to being 104 is a cigar and dr pepper every day she's just like yeah it's i wanted to do it and i did it and this guy helped but i think what was nice about it was kind of like reading about what a full life she had had She went on to have a lot of fun adventures through her life, uh, new friendships that she struck up in old age. So I guess the good news is that like time, it's a good reminder that like time doesn't limit you as much as you think it does. You could still do crazy Mm -hmm. stuff. You could still make friends. You could still say yes and maybe get like a world record for saying yes. And I also just like, like you said, I love the way she described the jump. It wasn't like thrilling, the ride of my life. She just talked about how comfortable she was. And then immediately she was like, where are we going to eat? (laughs) what are we getting for lunch i have gone skydiving before and honestly it makes most other experience in your life just a tad bit not as exciting because after you jump Mm -hmm. out of planes like man it does not it does not get much more thrilling than this uh dorothy was from garfield parks but of a lot of her life living in jefferson park uh and is going to turn 105 years old uh hopefully in december of this year so shout out to dorothy shout out to your colleagues for covering this story um watching it take place over the last couple of days it definitely put a smile on my face each and every time yeah go dorothy Evan, your some good news this week brings us to a conversation we had last week. We was giving you your flowers when Adora and Tony have stopped by uh, because you wrote this piece that talked about celebrating Chicago's contributions to hip hop. You know, what was it like writing this piece? Because it felt very nostalgic for you. Like you got to reminisce on on your childhood and your adulthood growing up in the city. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Shout out to uh, the folks at Southside Weekly for, you know, reaching out because, uh it's a lot of conversation with this and I'll try to like wrap it up that we talk a lot about hip hop journalism or entertainment journalism, how it's 
how many newspapers or websites that have actual journalists doing these jobs or is it bloggers or whomever. And as you, if I know this over time, you know, since uh, all the hip hop anniversary um, celebrations and everything else, they rarely brought up Chicago. And if they did, it was just drill. I'm like, you know, like drill came out around 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Like we were doing stuff way before then. And as I just wanted to give a shout out to all those people who were at those events and all those parties and, and who went on to be an alderman and went on to be teachers and went on to be authors in this community, but also, yeah, definitely nostalgic. Like I said about Common's album, you know, like his second album, uh, Resurrection, like a lot of that stuff I literally did. It's one thing to, to listen to that type of music, to have someone album that was doing all the stuff that you were doing and kind of lived in the same area you did and and talked about all the things that, that you were doing was very refreshing and cool to see because you can personally identify with talking about the high school that had the finest girls and people were wondering which one you were talking about. And obviously I went to Morgan Park, so I looked at it that way, but also there's Kenwood, there's Winnie Young and, and that kind of in that space. But yeah, that was really fun to do and I really appreciate everybody. You know, reaching out and the best part is folks who who were there who lived it and reached out was like thank you i love it man from celebrating 50 years of hip-hop in chicago to celebrating 104 years of life by jumping out of plane over chicago um i will wrap up our some good news and i kind of got to double up uh one is the reopening of applications from the network advocating against domestic violence the survivor fund which is a thousand dollar one-time payment uh for survivors of domestic violence stalking sexual assault and or trafficking who live in Chicago is now open. Those applications are going to fill up fast. So we'll put a link in our show notes. Um, Please share this with your entire network. We want want to make sure that this gets to the people uh, who need it. Uh, And then one other event I wanted to uh, show some love to it's also about the the renovation of, of a neighborhood, and it's particularly in Washington Park between Indiana and King Drive on, on Garfield. You've seen over the last few years more and more development there, whether it's the Green Line Performing Arts Center, whether it's Retreat at Currency Exchange, which a lot of events have been held at over the last uh, few years. And they're now opening the Southside Arts Lawn, uh, which is going to be a performance space. They'll have poetry events uh, this Saturday. They'll also have a, a merchandise mart there with uh, over 20 vendors from across the Southside neighborhoods. Uh, and so this is a new space just opening up in our community that'll host screenings, arts events that I'm really excited to visit. Uh, and, and just in that little stretch, you can get everything you need from a cup of coffee or a cocktail. Harold's is on 55th in, in Indiana, or you can go see something at the Green Line Arts Performance Center, which is a space I love, love, love to stop by and visit. Uh, so yeah, those are my two pieces of good news. Uh, we will drop a, a link to to Evan's story, all of AD Quig's reporting this week as well. I want to give both of y'all a huge shout out and another thank you for joining us on CityCast Chicago. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Before I let you go, I want to thank all of the people who make CityCast Chicago. And there's a lot of people, y'all. Our lead producer is Simone Alisea. Our newsletter editor is Sydney Madden. Our producers this week were Lizzie Goldsmith, Elizabeth Kama, Natalie Rivera, Noah Snyderman, and AK Al Movement. 
The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. My last thank you, as it is every episode and every week, is for you, the people who listen to CityCast Chicago, the people who go to our website, chicago.citycast.fm, the people who subscribe to our newsletter, Hey Chicago, and all the people you've shared it with over the years. We appreciate it. Make sure you're back with us. We're off on Monday, but we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Peace. And dun 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 Look at us. Look at us. Couple of vets here knocking it out. <laughs>